Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm super excited to be in the studio with Stephen Malkmus, who has a new solo album out called Groove Denied. But the question is, what would the album have been called if the groove had not been denied? I can't be the first person to ask that, but I haven't seen the answer anywhere. Well, that was a working title before some of this groove denied narrative started already um, based on some of the ways that I chop beats, you know, I kind of deliberately keep them off the grid and stuff. And so that combined with just maybe sort of a plaint of uh, the modern time trying to do something you know, be yourself and you keep getting pushed like in a Tetris game off to other, <laughs> actually a different game, whatever one where you would block paths and, you know, you're led this other way, which wasn't the way you wanted to go. But yeah, and it just, all those things combined with this story of the record being unacceptable for release because of Washington Post journalists, you know, that was really digging for a story got brought out. but It's the kind of thing that if it hadn't happened, it actually would have been good to make it up because it provides a very helpful hook for people to talk about the record. That's true. Something to talk about besides <laughs> the music. I mean, it all worked out. In the end, it came out. I'm happy with it. It's yeah. not even past tense because we're still talking about it. There's actually at least one previous song. It's a Kindling for the Master, which mm-hmm. is like a mid-2000s song, which is actually, let's hear that. time. Every bombing killing for the master, killing for the master, killing for the master. And it's, it's, to me, very much in the vein of this record. Is there a connection there? Well, that was different because that's recorded on tape. And um, it did have some triggered drums. And it was kind of a lo-fi funk workout by my standards, for sure. You know, I'm trying to remember what I was into when I was trying to do that song. And it just seems that album, which is also another album I made called Face of Truth, it touches on some other genres. Yeah. But it was mostly me recording myself in a similar way to Groove Denied, although I used other musicians, or I didn't use, I just <laughs> used them <laughs> and played the, Toss them aside. created yeah. with these other people those songs. But that one, I think, is All Me By Myself, the Kindling for the Master. So, But yeah, I can see that in a way. It's definitely... In a 80s, 90s, New Jack style compared to the psychedelic <laughs> rock that I do with my guitar. <laughs> I mean, this album is actually, I really, really enjoy it. And I think you may have said this, but there is a thing where it's like using these unfamiliar contexts maybe got you. I don't think you used the Zen term beginner's mind, but there is a little bit of that in there where it feels like a return almost to your first record. There seemed to be a certain freedom there. I think you're right in terms of... You know, when you're not quite in control of technology and or the instruments you're using, it can bring a kind of old and new feeling together. Like when I was first uh, unself-aware and making music in pavement, not knowing what it sounds like when it comes out and kind of being a little bit surprised. Of course, after many years and working with the same unit of people and developing a language You know, there's something of it. It gets a little bit, I wouldn't say like risk averse, but you know, you just, there's so many assumptions you make about what you're doing that you don't even know that you're doing it. And so with something like this, yeah, messing with drum machines and different, really just different instruments and different genres that I haven't publicly tried to conquer. How are your keyboard skills? Like, are you like Uh, a real piano keyboard? Yeah. Not adept enough that I decided to not, I, well, I'm not playing any piano on my live tour. I'm playing some synthesizers. 
I also didn't want to travel with them because I'm trying to really travel light. But to evade the question... They're pretty basic. Mm -hmm. um, I did it also on this album, Sparkle Hard, like the first song, and like three of the songs, I, I, those are piano-based songs that I transposed onto a, a rock, uh, not transposed, but like started that way and then made them into guitar songs. And but, yeah, but that's, was, that's was, like you on the opening track playing piano? Yeah, yeah, it's not me on the actual thing, oh, okay, but it's not. the okay. demo was me. Gotcha. Um, and so, yeah, you know, like some people would just call that... Uh, chopsticks or some would say it's like neil young immediate you know that's what i'd rather it be um <laughs> simple but like effective and stuff so yeah i play like the song grown nothing that's me playing i mean i could play that live and it would be fine yeah i wouldn't make any mistakes <laughs> let's hear that, um, that that's a really beautiful song yeah baby be a dying tree how will we know It seems like guitar players can fall into that Neil Young style of like sort of basically you're playing rhythm guitar on the piano That's with a little true. bit of effort. And you know, I like jazzy music like Andrew Hill or even uh, Thelonious Monk. You know, I would obviously not say that I'm anywhere near those <laughs> geniuses, but you know, like you can kind of think of a uh, piano in that in these clusters and and broken forms and you know we're all striving for something when we're playing and i guess i go more in that direction it's funny that you mentioned that you were unselfconscious or unself-aware making you the first pavement record because you always seem super self-conscious and self-aware even back then so i wonder how that because you always were kind of um yeah I, I can say you know even if you are maybe i said that wrong it's just <laughs> it's more like not being in control of what you're doing and uh you know whatever came out of the speakers you're really sort of surprised so I guess that's what I, I meant it's like you're not in control of what you're doing and also you know lyrically I certainly am not particularly self-conscious because especially at that time because you know I really <laughs> just said whatever came out of my mouth you know like the first time so I think maybe that you can call that self-conscious that you uh after the fact that you kept that but you know um, a lot of other people might have said like what does that mean that I wrote is that stupid should I even be saying that I didn't really do that I just went forward did that start to come in maybe especially in the last like 20 years a little bit more of some kind of editor's mentality where you're fighting yourself yeah, well, I think a lot of people well not only me there's a combination of reasons that would happen first of all you've said what you've said well already and you need to um, say it differently or something in a way that is not just tired and then also the world catches up with you or it's very fast the way the world is and other people are doing cool stuff that influences you or that makes your old ways of working. Um, there's a reason that they sounded fresh back then but don't now mm. if you try to do it. And why would you want to anyway once something's been done? It's time to move on and try to make some new forms and connections. So... I know you're not a huge Dylan guy, even though you did several songs for that soundtrack that are, mm -hmm. happen to be great, but he once said he was in the studio like in the 80s or something. Not not a great Dylan period. I'm in no way making a comparison. Mm -hmm. But he was in the studio and the producer was like, well, why don't you actually just do it, you know, guitar and harmonic? And, and Dylan's like, no, that's how Bob Dylan would do it. You know, mm -hmm. so it is that thing where you that's, become aware. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's probably what happens. And it's quite hard to get outside yourself, right? No matter what, you're kind of in a hall of mirrors when you're trying to not do something the way you do it and you're you. <laughs> no matter what, I think we just all struggle to find a tone that, you know, is like feels good to us, feels good to me. And, you know, I can feel like it's real or authentic. Listening to like, it's a classic sort of uh, indie trick to make the first track the really weird one mm-hmm. and uh, Belzegur face plant mm-hmm. am I pronouncing that correctly yes yeah, is, is like super loopy and maybe what people imagined the whole record would be based right. on the initial description and it's, it's really enjoyable I also imagine that maybe when you describe there was a whole bunch of stuff there's probably more stuff that sounded more like mm-hmm. that that's not on the record yeah there is more tunes in that style that was the best example of that I thought and when you're making a um a sequence for a record, a lot of things. There's a lot of ways you can go, and I can say that, but usually it just comes down to two or three songs that could be the first song. So probably if we had another year even to make the record, it could have been more like that song, for Hmm. better or worse, or uh, maybe like this one called Forget Your Place. Both of those sort of feel not so referential compared to some things on the record, you know, like either referential to me or or other musics that I've liked in the past. So I'm kind of proud of those ones where, you know, at least for myself, I don't really know where they came from except for an idea that they're kind of experimental or something. But I can't say like, oh, yeah, that sounds like Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan or, some, or you know, not my songs. But, you know, like sure. when you're a critic, you, sure. you spot the influences. And I can't, I'm like, I don't really even know what the influence, it doesn't necessarily mean they're better, but like, I like them better for that reason. Right. There's <clears> moments <throat> on this where it's also like, I feel it's a little bit like alternate universe Malcolmus, especially the first half of the record where it's like, when you first started, I know there were a bunch of like Echo and the Bunnymen influences mm-hmm. and stuff. And I almost heard that coming in just like different directions it's you British. could have pursued. There's yeah. definitely a British feel to the first side and at least the second song, a bit a wilder, bit wilder yeah. and the third one, Victor Borge. Yeah, that's... That's kind of got an English early post-punk elect with drums creeping into post-punk. Bauhaus electric. even. <laughs> that too. Yeah. I never really loved them so much when I was a kid. I mean, I loved that Bell Lugosi is... Yeah. That was just the song we knew about. I'll say Peter Murphy really is aging well. Not that that matters. <laughs> uh, I've just seen a picture of him. I was like, is that really him? He's like, how come he looks so good? He must not party. He was one of the last Coachella things where they got an old band to reunite to headline Coachella in this sort of very touching belief that the kids would be very excited about a Bauhaus reunion. And it, it was awesome. Not was, many. It wasn't like it was like people were there, but I don't really think they knew what it was. They just knew they were supposed to, you know, I think the audience was more open minded back then at the Coachella thing. Now it's like it's kids wanting stuff for kids. You know, I just saw this Duran Duran like video by David Lynch. Did you see that? No. So not good it's um <laughs> it's like a concert of them in 2014 and so it, it starts with some black and white and david lynch saying like duran duran we're gonna i can't do his accent but you know how he is <laughs> yeah and then as the concert proceeds it's a live concert and like 
some LA corporate venue, which I can't remember which one it is. You know how those there's those shows in LA that are kind of they're just clean, but like anyway. Lynch just puts like this uh, in the forefront, some kind of like smoke fog, like he overdubs like this kind of smoke fog and light. And then there's like a couple of clocks spinning really fast. It's like generic David Lynch, you know, mm. and then they're playing and you can't even see the band sort of because there's like fake rain in front of them. <laughs> it's really hack job. No disrespect to either of those artists, but sometimes I don't know what 2014, what was going on. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're telling me to digress about the time I once watched the dudes from Duran Duran try to write a song with Timbaland for two hours in the studio. It was the, it was it the was absolute catastrophe. No, I was there. Oh, uh, really? I was doing a Timbaland story, and the Duran Duran guys were not excited about me being there, but I was there with their producer. Mm-hmm. So uh, Timbaland just had a like a loop going, like he made a Timbaland loop, yeah. and they were he it just as in the hip hop style, just kept playing and playing in the studio. That's how they do it, and yeah, and they were just. They wanted the loop to stop, but that's what they were supposed to write over. And it was just, it was, I wish it had been filmed. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life, honestly. Uh, Those guys were miserable that day. That was funny. (laughs) So I want to take a moment and talk about Vivid Seats. Staying at home is great, but eventually you just got to get out of the house. Whether you go out to see your favorite band or go cheer on your favorite team in person, you got to get out of the house. You got to have a night out. And with Vivid Seats, you can attend the concert of your choice, the sports event of your choice, whatever event you're looking for at a great price. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you might want to go to. On their site, you can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice. You can pick the seat you want. To make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive 10% off your first ticket order to save even more money. Just go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. First-time customers can use promo code Rolling Stone. That's R O L L I N G S T O N E for 10% off your first Vivid Seats order. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and enter promo code Rolling Stone for 10% off your first order on Vivid Seats. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. What did you learn from, I mean, you, you've worked with, obviously, Nigel Godrich, and you said a really funny thing, which is your records weren't like Radiohead records where everything's great from start to finish, that it's more about attitude and stuff. It's just Nigel is obviously the guy, the collaborator there. So what did you take away from that work with him? Working with Nigel? Yeah. Well, I was like blown away, obviously, like so many people by OK Computer, and um, that's all I think. I don't think Kid A was done yet. Can't remember. Um, that's right. But, you know, that record sounds so cool, the, just the the sound of it. So just getting to know him and how he worked and how he grew up in a classic British uh, working at Rack Studios and with John Leckie and being a tea bringer up to, it's kind of old school, I guess, the way he learned to do it. And then he's, yeah, kind of a mad scientist. So I took that from it more than anything, just seeing how a record is properly made in a certain <laughs> way. You know, I didn't entirely know. What surprised um, you the most about that proper record-making um, process? Well, it's like uh, just the obsession with... I mean, I'm obs- I am get obsessed with making stuff good, too. But, you know, it's just like really dialed in and obsessed with making, like, like just living this record terror twilight a thousand percent you know that's what he did and does and maybe i caught him at a good time he had also just done this uh 
who's really excited about Beck uh, Mutations, which is a really cool record, and he should be. You know, but there's like this song called The Diamond Bollocks. It's like an extra song hmm. on the album. I think it was different. But, you know, that's the one he was really excited about. He liked other songs on the album. But, you know, he was like in... I'm not saying that anything in, radio, in Rainbows are all fantastic. But, you know, you catch people at a certain when they're really like young and hungry or at least 30 something and hungry <laughs> and it was like a good so that's all I, I just remember that about it and then you know i think it's 2011 you work with beck again like what sort of like lessons did you draw because that seems like someone with a very different yeah. kind of some similarities uh, but some real so, differences in the process and the way he thinks i think everyone's different he's a very obsessive music person into sound as sound and seems more than me interested in technology or, you know, how to make things sound good. So if you notice, he, yeah, he's worked with, Beck did like Nigel Godrich and Danger Mouse. And I don't really know who Greg Kirsten is, but I can say his name. Yes. But they're like known for being, they're all like uh, sound masters and probably have some secrets, you know, like yeah. they're almost in that people have their tricks or something that they don't release or something. <laughs> to yeah. the world which i thought was kind of cool too because i would have never thought of that you know i just think it's like plug in and compress it or twist the knobs till it like sounds cool i don't know if you have like secret boxes or secret moves so yeah i kind of i thought that was interesting he's got some secret moves and again he's somebody that really is into mastering too really heavily like um I don't know if you're familiar with a guy named Bob Ludwig, but he's kind of... Oh, the, yeah. I've, uh, the, uh, I've talked to him a bunch of times. He's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. He's really nice. Yeah. He lives up in Maine, and he has super expensive uh, mastering, and he yep. does, like, an amazing job. So, I mean, it's all those little things. Like, there's so many... It's just about the music and the box, you know, like, getting the best sound for posterity. Both of those guys are like that. And so maybe they like to work with someone a little bit like me who's more of a primitive, you know, caveman in comparison with that stuff, for sure. You mean with like sonics and that kind of thing? Is that, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, lo yeah. I love all that yeah. stuff. I love, I like pedals. I like, but not, I mean, the proof's in the pudding if you listen to the records. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, like, not like that. Something about these two 90s names reminded me of the fact that two things. You retweeted a tweet by Rivers Cuomo about him making a somewhat inscrutable joke about whether anyone ever asked him if he sounds like Malkmus. Mm. And then you also said in an interview once when people, I think, frequently have asked you, you know, do you wish you had bigger hits? Did you try to write bigger hits? Blah, blah, blah. And, and you said, well, that's the difference between uh, Weezer and Pavement. So just like, how do you see that band? Because that is, they're weirdly like this weird opposite of, of Pavement, someone who were never on a, the time, you know? When, I think when they first started, I mean, this is really like internecine indie rock, <laughs> yeah. DGC, Sonic Youth, <laughs> The Breeders, The Buzz Bin. I mean, it's like two years, you know, when things... Right. I mean, at that time, they, they had like a Spike Jones video yep. with like dogs running through it. And then it felt kind of pixie pavement-y and... Except instantly wildly successful. Yeah, and they, <laughs> but they're really catchy songs. Like, I like that song, Say, Say It Ain't So. I'm a fan of that song. Yeah. And the band in general. So they just kind of came out of nowhere and there was a bit of a, you know, like there's... <laughs> Whatever, just the tribal indie stuff. You know, there's bands that were on Matador or Homestead or Sub Pop. 
And then some groups just started right away with, in Los Angeles on David Geffen Company or something, you know. So it, some were sus- suspicious. But it doesn't really matter. Music's music, right? So it's, right. It, seems, a, it, it sure just, seemed to matter a, back yeah, then. It's though. a younger, yeah. a sweeter time when people actually had time to yeah, worry about <laughs> credibility or we hadn't really gotten into... Uh, psychology of you know status and posing and all these things that indie culture had back then and people didn't question well the other thing and i, I kind of always say this people who listen to the show have probably heard me say this before but back when rock sort of more ruled the world the distinctions between kinds of rock seemed very important and perhaps less so here in, in 2019 yeah i mean i don't know was, i mean that was probably 94 94 but... yeah yeah, it was a bigger market for it, and like, yeah, it was the genre too. So, of the marketplace, a little bit more. Of course, there was R and B and hip hop, but rock and roll was still. It still felt like it. It was evolving against something. I don't know. There was hair metal and Guns and Roses, and and with the. I'm just talking like white guy guitar rock really you know yes, and so yeah. that was a uh, let the record show that, that you were strumming go. you were strumming an air guitar at that moment <laughs> you know we just we really were uh, people were like young or you know we were just like ugh why is that that needs to go you know and right. so yeah it was really exciting when Nirvana for better or worse you know when Nirvana which had some hard rock signifiers in their music, but it was definitely different. And, you know, when that like took off, it, it felt like a big, uh, you know, it was really pretty exciting, I thought. And yet you never wanted to uh, fully ride that particular wave. Well, I, I'm glad that we rode in the slipstream of it, you know, <laughs> exactly, so it's not. Yeah. And there's, you know, you can make a comparison. I mean, if we're just talking about like REM, that was a, another group that was older but it's kind of cool and you know it's like you could just be singular and be popular it doesn't it's a kind of band that sort of not aligned to a scene a scene was made around them i mean maybe they did come from a the paisley underground or jangly college rock whatever they came from but yeah i mean who wouldn't want to be like rem like writing these big hits and have nice house three houses and stuff like that The big Warner Brothers contract, that would have been nice. <laughs> to return to this record for a minute, it is one of those things where, as we said, the first half is more electronic, and then it nicely slides into more of a traditional you thing, but again, like totally homemade. You play every instrument, mm-hmm. drums. I think like even going back to pavement songs, there's songs where you play drums, mm-hmm. right? So you're a decent drummer, I guess? No, no, not decent, but like that's the charm of it, hopefully. I mean, it's not like the shags or something, but you know, really... Do you loop? Do you play no, live? I play, or, yeah. I play, those yeah. are all the way played through, yeah. all those songs, I will say. Maybe a couple of fills. I did, I did MIDI a couple of fills just after I did it, just to see if it would sound different and better but they are all the way played through which is that's good a couple of them have drum machines though shouldn't be hard to play drum i mean the drums should stay out of the way kind of <laughs> you know and i feel bad saying that with having drummers and stuff they don't yeah. want to hear that but you yeah. know it's it's kind of like you can listen to my history work history the drums are kind of you know they just should get a good groove going Mm. <laughs> no disrespect to drummers. And all the great drummers know to say, like, the song is the king or they don't get jobs. Right. You know? like, <laughs> so, 
Or they could start their own bands or whatever. You promised no guitar solos on this record to some interviewer, and there's actually... There's it, not many, though. Okay, yeah, that's true. Few guitar Where, solos. Which but, ones? Well, especially on Grown Nothing, there's a yeah. really beautiful guitar solo. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's the, that's kind of the one, yeah. Yeah, you're right. There is some messing around on guitar, and as it turns out, when I play these songs live, there's going to be a lot of messing around on guitar because you know, in the end, you have to do what you're comfortable and good at in a certain way. If people are paying, see you. So, uh, so you're going to be standing alone on a stage. Yeah, like I got with... a laptop and one of those OP ones and guitar and a bunch of pedals. Have you done one of these shows yet, or no? They're they're coming. No, I did. Yeah. I did a um. I've done, not with guitar, I did a cup. I opened for Animal Collective at a previous time, just with a laptop and a microphone. And I opened for uh, Ann Magnuson and a Bongwater reunion doing the same thing. But like that was at a previous time, how we were talking about when the record could have been more like the first song. Yeah. It didn't go down that well. But, I mean, I was playing to normies <laughs> and art people that, you know, it was like a $10 show of people who, uh, it doesn't, you know what I mean? So they're free to vent their their opinions were not they weren't on my side mm. to begin. It was I wouldn't say it was like doing a you know, Bernie talking at a Trump rally or something, but it was Are you gonna feel comfortable right away? No. They've done it, yeah. Would you? It seems a little awkward. I've seen what's uh Martin the dude from Suicide, Martin Rev, I saw him do completely comfortable just get up with a DJ backing him mm -hmm. and just like with a you know just be out there but he was a lunatic <laughs> yeah my friend uh said that he you know he tried to make me feel better about it he had seen greg sage of the wipers and with just a drum machine and he said it was one of the best shows he ever saw but that doesn't really establish confidence you know that's like so what this guy is really great did something great that way and now i'm going to you know it doesn't um, it doesn't work that way i know what he meant though you know so, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, why are you touring this way? It obviously matches the record, but is it to challenge? It's the same idea yeah, as the record, I just to be a challenge? Yeah. yeah, I just thought, you know, it's a good question. <laughs> you know, I'm going to, as it's coming up in the day, I ask the same question. But the fact of the matter is, yeah, I wanted to try, I've challenged myself, and is there anything else there like that I can do that's cool? So, mm. I don't know. <laughs> no real good answer for that. It may set a, a personal record for me. I think the last time I interviewed you was, and uh, I looked it up, was like February 2001 when your first uh, soul record when, came oh, out. Oh, really? Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. Those are different times. Those are different times. And how has the 21st century so far compared to like your, ex I mean, you know, not world historically necessarily, mm -hmm. but like your life in this, these last like 18 years, that's your whole stretch of your soul career and stuff with the Jicks. Mm -hmm and a reunion, and a family, yeah. and everything has happened in these 18 years. So how has this compared to like sort of what your expectations were for this part of your life and career? I don't know. That's a big question. I know. <laughs> I don't think anybody has a real concept of what it's going to be like. I mean, once you obviously, when you have a family and kids, that completely is uh, something that you're not prepared for. And there's no way to uh, really compare expectations to that myself. So music is forever it just carries on you know i'm a fan of of music and it's not a struggle to want to like it or something you know it's not like homework or anything i mm. just like to do it it's not something 
I don't know what you do for entertainment. Everyone's got their thing, but it's hard for I mean, it's a little bit of a capitalist cliche or something, but you know, like you love your work or whatever. Of course, I want to be rewarded for my labor, but it doesn't, I don't mind it, you know? So that's all I can really say about it. Whatever comes from it has been, there's the interviews and the travel, that's a different thing, but just making, I'm not saying it's, toward, yeah. it's work though, or whatever, it's but it's just making noise and sounds entertainment to me. Obviously, mm-hmm. around the time we were talking about it in 94, so you, you lyrically bid farewell to the rock and roll era, famously. And it, you know, you were a few years ahead of time, but we did get there. <laughs> and it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it is over pretty much. That's all right, though. Doesn't matter. It's still going, too. Well, the super. So it's not yeah. over. I mean, it's just maybe to a Coachella audience or something, it's over. Does it affect the way, I mean, obviously here you are, have made a record uh, with a lot of different sounds and in a more modern way. So obviously it, it does affect the way you, it has affected your music making process. And here you are off touring like a DJ too, to get some of that sweet Half DJ. Half DJ. Uh, I mean, it's okay. I've always liked niche things anyway. So I feel like the music we've made, I've made, is always, it's it's always been left to center. And people are always going to be like, what was that? I don't, you know, I never expected any any different. All the, all the music I would make would always, I mean, it's nice that Rolling Stone wants to talk to me and stuff, but like came from the underground. So it's, it's all kind of underground stuff. And it's also like by not having some, enormous MTV hit, although you did, you know, you were you were on there, but there's a freedom in that as well. You're not locked in people's minds the way people don't realize yeah. the extent to which it actually could be a curse to have a huge hit in the 90s. That could be, but even if you did, I mean, it's, you just got to lead by example. I mean, just lead with your heart and do what you like to do, right? Scott Walker recently passed away and obviously he was a much bigger star than pavement ever was but i guess it hurt him or something in his own mind but you know he he made the music he wants to make and of course i think you're right i mean i think that it's a better play to be you know you'd rather be like uh iggy pop than like three dog night even if (laughs) three dog night made more money and more people have heard them and maybe even they made some good songs. It's generally assumed, even by people that don't even know who Iggy Pop is, really, that that's a better person to be in our society, right? Like, Plus, he's like 70 years old, and he's like crazy ripped. So, you yeah. Know, so, you know. I'm just saying, to be a little bit <laughs> no, in, <laughs> in a paradigm of artsy, doesn't pander. To, I mean, Iggy had his times trying to make hits, too. So, But you know what I mean? You'd rather totally. be in that realm of consciousness than uh in uh <laughs> three dog night <laughs> i don't know why i mentioned them no one even knows who they are anymore, you got me probably. thinking about it at the same time i'd be interested to know what it was like to be in three dog night at the well, same you time can yeah. read the biographies yeah, th- there we I go know there's a lot of gonorrhea involved <laughs> <laughs> as the fact that it slipped back into this record shows you you clearly still love the guitar although yeah. you, you resist it's the term deadhead yeah, yeah you, it's you, a you, positive noise maker and i i like it and yeah that's all good anything that makes good sounds i'm into obviously keyboards have a, a different way or like modular synthesizers and stuff you know they have a texture to them and like this not only what they um symbolize which is obviously half of what's important about them i think that it's electronic and modern and but also it's like 
just the way it sounds, gloopy and bloopy and attack and LFOs and the way that you play with them. It's going to lead you to different emotions. I don't know. Mm. Sound kind of silly. No. That, but you know what I mean? It's just got different sounds. So I'm for both of those instruments. I'm just not into ukuleles. Yeah. Unless it's like traditional Hawaiian music. Mm. Um, just every instrument is good. <laughs> Minus ukuleles. Yeah. Kind of. I don't mind it as a gateway towards people learning about music and stuff, but, um, <laughs> you know, as a first tool, but not as a, I mean, Tiny Tim maybe, but. You said that the uh, best Neil Young album is Zuma, and I really agree with you. And I, I also, I never That's really, nice. I never really thought of, I never thought of the connection. I know you like him as a guitar player, but once I heard you say that, I was like, well, you know, like I listened to Danger Bird or something. And actually, I hear you in there. I, there's a connection there. He's great. Obviously, we all, I mean, everyone's pretty on board with Neil, <laughs> right? And the lyrics are often not always great, but many of them are kind of just stoned epiphanies and like kind of want that. I want that. It's actually weirdly, I think he's the exact opposite of you lyrically sometimes because he's always just whatever he's writing about, he just comes out and says it. You know, it's just like, yeah. and it, it's, you know, you, you're not always obfuscating what you're writing about, but, you know, certainly. Well, I do. I mean, I think in some ways that's, I also do that. You just don't know it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, I just want to get the lyrics done usually, you know, like you probably talk to a lot, a lot of artists. There are some people that are lyrics first and are really confident about their lyrics. Uh, I bet Neil's not particularly confident about his lyrics either. Hmm. Um, I have no idea, you know. I think he just does it. And I'm projecting again. I think, you know, he just wants to get to, like, jamming. (laughs) 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 I'm sure he has things to say, don't get me wrong, but, like, maybe more than, you know, like, environmental causes or... (laughs) corporate this notes for you or something you know he has he just seems like a cool cat and in the whole scene of the la that really fertile time of la music you know you got this canadian stoner dude in malibu and dave briggs and stuff it just that seems like maybe it's a little bro-ish or something at times in retrospect like stupid girl and stuff but like (laughs) um yeah for sure you know it's still like seems like i probably would like to be hanging out over there like Drinking tequila, looking at the sun setting and smoking joints and stuff. I don't know. Sounds fun. (laughs) After a gap of a few years, this is now two really strong albums in a row. And it seems like I know that uh, your label chief is talking about sort of like reintroducing you and that kind of thing. Is that in your mind too? Are you on a kind of like a reset button thing and just kind of, I mean, you are doing, you're out there a little bit more. What's, mm-hmm. How do you see all this and where do you see it going from here? I don't here? really know. I mean, <laughs> I did put a, I had a mini plan with this record and that one and one in the future perhaps that will be uh, like three styles and um yeah, that's all. You know, it's not really, it's up to the suits to decide that stuff, right? I mean, we're just the music makers and take what we can get. But yeah, I mean, at least creatively, I have some ideas of things I want to do. I had a little more time. My kids are older and there was just, it's a lot of just nuts and bolts. Like there also the studio situation opened up in the town that I was living at where I actually want, I was actually excited to uh, work in a specific building, you Mm. know, then I'm not saying there's everywhere is bad in Portland, but like I had 
played it out a bit. And so like if I wanted to go to make a record, I was going to have to go somewhere else always. And so like there's this brief window where this cool place opened and felt new. And I get inspired by things and situations as much as interior. So that got me working a little bit more. Do you see yourself as a lifelong musician at this point? Or you're just going to kind of... It's hard to think of changing. As you know, like you got to pay your dues, you know, in any... Um, I mean, I don't have much other skills, to be honest, you know, if we're really being real about it. Most of them are involved in music, you know, like I'm not writing. I, I haven't written like a paragraph a cogent paragraph since like Twitter was invented. So, you know, it's like I, I haven't had to. Yeah. You know, it's like two sentences, like half with shitty grammar. People like that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not, I think, probably sticking around. I can't be a like George M- Martin investing in Meow Wolf or something. You know, it's like <laughs> well, there's always the memoir. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Ugh. <laughs> the fallback no I know those could be interesting but yeah I don't have skills and like you have to be a waiter or not a waiter but like the nice bartender you know that the <laughs> people like Mark from Pavement was a bartender if you had to rank the chances of ever playing with Pavement again where would you put that you know realistic anything's possible all alive Knock one. good canon <laughs> and if there's interest you know that's always a factor. Yeah. You know, if people are really psyched about it, I'd be psyched about it too. So we'll see. There you Never go. know. Stephen Machmas, thanks so much for being here. It's awesome talking with you. <laughs> nice talking to you too. So this 17 is 17 years, 18 <laughs> years. This has been today's Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Brian Hyatt. We'll be back next week here on Sirius XM's Volume, Channel 106. In the meantime, we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe leave us a nice review on iTunes. In the meantime, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.